Amen. Well, we've got um, a series that we're going through. I'll explain it for those of you who are new to the church. So there's a series that we've got at the moment that's going through the Gospels and we're following Jesus. Uh, so we're imagining we're, we're kind of in that band of disciples following Jesus and we're looking at everything that he's saying, everything that he's doing, the miracles that he's performing, um, and we're just sort of trying to learn from those. And so we're going through the, the Gospels chronologically. That means as best as we can, uh, we've not figured it out, but we're, we're looking at some concordances and some theologians over the years and, and sort of Jesus' journey from birth right the way through uh, to, to the cross, to his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension when he got caught back up into heaven. And then from that, the church was born and we go into the book of Acts. And so it's going to be a long series. There's a lot to cover. Um, and this morning, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, rather than read all three different versions out, uh, we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So Mark 2, 1 to 12. But if you're at home and you want to sort of play along as well, or even for those of you on tables, you might want to go home and do some homework. Um, this same Gospel account, is, or the, the same story, is written in two other Gospels. So it's also written in Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8, and it's also written in Luke 5, 17 to 20. But we're going to read this one because it kind of has within it the heart of the other two as well. And so each one comes from a slightly different angle. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be imagining we're in this story and we're all going to be seeing this perhaps from a different point of view, a different angle based on where we're positioned. And so just before I read that, while you're finding that on your Bibles, Lewis, on the uh, thing we've got the Jesus intro. Could you just click that for me? Okay, and so here we are. So we're going to read Mark 2, verses 1 through to 12, and I'll read them from the front. And it says this, And when he, so this is talking about Jesus, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus has gone home. Um, so what's he do when he's at home? Uh, kick back, chill out, watch Netflix. No, this is what goes on. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So Jesus is at home. Um, he's just been ministering to people. We've just covered some of the stories of that over the last few weeks. He just healed a leper in the one before. He's been preaching in Galilee. He's gone home, and what happens? The crowds come. They're at his house. He's literally at home, and the crowds are there, so much so that they're all pressing in on his front door. And, uh, and it says this, he was preaching the word to them. He was preaching the word to them. doesn't tell them to go away. He's not saying, I'm home. I'm trying to rest. I'm trying to chill out. I've had a day at work. I've been on a mission trip for three months. Go away. What does he do? He preaches the word to them. He wants, he wants them to hear about the Father. He wants them to hear about redemption, about new life. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so there are some guys that have, have got a friend who, well, I presume he's a friend, who is on a mat, he can't walk, he's paralytic. I would have guessed his life, he'd have been uh, a beggar. He would have been begging to survive, obviously he couldn't work. 
So he has a paralytic, his limbs aren't working. And then these four guys carry him on the mat and they've gone to Jesus' door, but the crowds are there. We've already established that. They're pressing in on the door, but they know that this guy really needs to meet Jesus. The only thing that can change this guy's life around is an encounter with God. It's the power of Jesus. They want him to hear the words that he's preaching and they're hoping that Jesus, like we've seen in other weeks, might come close and touch his life. He might do something phenomenal. But they can't get near. So what do they do? Give up, turn around, go the other way. No, not these four guys. These four guys, they climb up on the roof and they start dismantling the roof of Jesus' house. Jesus is at home and they're literally pulling the roof apart. And so... What we see in the Gospel of Luke, if you were to look in the one account in Luke 5, is what happens is it's not just a roof that's made of like hay or of earth. It says that it was a tile roof. So it would have, it, the construction would have been slightly different than our tile roofs. But can you imagine climbing up onto Jesus' roof and starting to basically dismantle his roof just to get close? Now, I think, for me, this would be the moment where rather than preaching the word, I would definitely be telling them to go away. Like, you're up on my roof and you're causing damage to my house. And, like, this is a bit much. Like, I can't preach because you're literally destroying my stuff. And what does Jesus do? He, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, he saw their faith, but he says to the guy on the mat, so it's not his faith he sees, it's their faith, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, so we're talking here about the Pharisees, the religious guys of the age, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. So they're all looking, they're not shouting abuse at him, but there's stuff going on internally. And it says this, they're questioning in their hearts, sorry, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's obviously, like, if you know the story of Jesus, if, if this is new to you, then the very reason that Jesus was crucified was for blasphemy, for making himself one with God. It wasn't for the things he did, it was for the things he said. He claimed to, to be the same as the Father. If you want to see the Father, then look at me. You have seen God. I am, me and the Father are one. And for that very thing, they crucified him. They set him apart with the worst people in society, with people that would do terrible things, snuffing people out, abusing people. He was set apart with the worst, the vilest, for making himself one with God, for blasphemy, for being a liar. But we know the story that that's not the truth. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? So Jesus, by the Spirit, is, is sort of reading them. I mean, he can see that there's something not quite right going on inside. He can tell that they're kind of judging him and they're, they're getting the wrong angry. They're getting angry internally. There's, there's a fence inside. And he calls it out. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, so he's now using this guy on the mat as an object lesson. He's pointing to him, I would imagine. Is it easier to say to the guy on the mat, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. This is a really interesting little saying. There's, there's a lot going on here. And Jesus goes on to explain it. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So this is the moment. Like, 
They're questioning. This guy's blaspheming. He's, he's blaspheming now. I'm the son of man and I've got, I'm, I've got the power to forgive sins. And so he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And then amazingly, he rose, picked up his bed and he went before them all. You can imagine, he got up, rolled his mat up, tacked it in his arm and just walked off down the road, as happy as Larry. You can imagine. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is an amazing thing. Jesus has literally given the Pharisees all that they want. This guy is blaspheming. But yet there's this thing that they can't explain. The power of God demonstrated that they've never, ever seen before. And everyone there is, has witnessed it. These huge crowds that were pressing in at Jesus' house, never mind the destroyed house and the destroyed roof that they're probably going to have to get someone in to repair. Something phenomenal has just happened, but it's all part of Jesus' sort of coming out. It's all part of his sort of revealing of being the Messiah. This, this term, the Son of Man, is a, a great video on the Bible project. We've seen before. I was going to share it this morning, but I don't want it for the sake of time. So if you're part of the church, I'll share it on our WhatsApp. Um, and if you're watching from home, I'll share it in the comments to this video later on when I get home. So clock back in on the feed and you'll see a, a post to that video in the comments. It's only about five minutes long. But it helps explain this, this term, the Son of Man. Jesus used it all the time to describe who he was. And it's all about the story of the Old Testament, the promises of a Messiah. It's really, really powerful. But we're not going to unpack that this morning. Because as I was preparing this morning, this doesn't happen very often, but it happened this morning. I felt God tug on me and say, like... Well, I, I don't know, you didn't, I didn't audibly hear this, but effectively it was like, Gordon, what you've prepared is great, but it's not what I want you to say. What I want you to say is this. And then he just gave me three things. And so I'm just going to explain these three things. Um, and so I want you to imagine that you're in this story, and uh, we're coming at it from three different angles. And we're just going to cover these three different angles, and each one's a sentence. And um, you, you may be seeing this story from the angle of the guy on the mat. And your life is just... Going nowhere, literally going nowhere, immobilised. You feel like it's over. You feel like there's no momentum. And uh, the, the, the sentence is, do you need carrying? You might not even be able to see Jesus. This guy couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't get close to Jesus. He didn't really probably know about Jesus. This guy needed carrying. He was alone. He was isolated. He had nothing going for him. He was a complete outsider. He needed carrying. He needed people around him. He needed people to lift his spirits up. He was literally laying in the dirt. You might feel like that this morning. You might be at home. You might have just clicked on this from at home. You might feel like that. You, do you need carrying? The second person that you're a group of people that you might be looking at this story through is the four guys. Were they friends of this guy on a mat? Were they disciples? Were they just people that had walked past him and was like, you know what? Let's take him to go and see Jesus. He needs to see him. They just picked him up. He couldn't go anywhere anywhere and they just took him there. We don't know, do we? But the next sentence was, will you do whatever it takes? Will you do whatever it takes? This is about us taking, literally dragging people, carrying people to Jesus. It's just in the hope that they might see him. Just in the hope that he might touch them. Will you tear apart someone's roof to get near to Jesus? Will you remove every barrier, every blockage? Will you push and press in until there is no other, nothing else in the way? Will you press in? 
think we've got a preacher in the room. It's great. But will you do whatever it takes? Who are the people in your life that you know they need Jesus? The only hope they've got in their life is Jesus. I, I, I don't need long to write, I could reel off a list as long as probably a good few pages of Numbers or Kings or those books where there's lists of name upon name. I've got a lot of people I could say, the, on, you know, the only way this person is going to get delivered of their stuff is by meeting Jesus. That was true in my life. I was far from God. Messed up on drink and drugs and loose living. And there were people praying for me, like these four guys, this guy needs to meet Jesus. And one of them literally carried me to the church. He took me to Alpha. He did whatever it took. He never gave up, even when I was going the other way, even when I'd let him down, even when I said I didn't want to go. He didn't give up. Will you do the same? Or have you even given up on yourself? Will you contend not only for your own heart, but for the heart of those in your life? Even when it's not working, even when you don't seem to be getting the results. Will you press in? Will you go through the crowd? Will you climb up and smash up the roof? Will you do whatever it takes, even if the rest of the world will be saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Is that house insured? Like, will you do it? Will you do what it takes? We're a church plant. We need to be those people that will do whatever it takes. We're here not for ourselves. This is great. The coffee's great. When we have cakes, it's great. When we haven't got to wear masks, it's great. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for our own comfort. We're here to literally pick up people and carry them to Jesus and say, look, he wants to meet you. He wants to set you free. Each of us are hopefully here because we have been brought in on that story and somewhere along the way, we've just lost sight of it. The crowd's got in the way. The house has got in the way. Everything else has got in the way. I think coming out of lockdown, the one thing it's done for me more than anything is refine this thing. We're not here for ourselves. We can't be. I will not spend the next 30, 40 years of my life, if I'm blessed with that, just to be with, with myself. Lots of friends. We're here to do whatever it takes, and that costs. It costs reputation. It costs money. It costs time. It costs energy and effort. This is not a comfortable Christianity that we're about. It's not about sitting down on our backsides, resting all the time. It's about sacrifice. It's about picking up our cross and carrying it daily. I won't push it much more because it could start getting heavy-handed, but you get the heart of what I'm trying to say, hopefully, that these guys did whatever it took. Everyone was, why are they carrying this guy? He's got nothing going for him. Why are they carrying this guy there? He's a down and out. He's a loser. Just leave him to die. These guys, their heart was different. I think they'd seen some of the Jesus if they weren't already disciples and they knew the only place this guy could go. Maybe their lives have been changed too, like you here or you at home. Who are you carrying for God to Jesus? And then the, the third group is the Pharisees. You could be sitting looking from this angle and, and, and this, this isn't as bad as it sounds, but is your heart full of questions? It says here they sat there questioning in their hearts. You know what? Questions, when they're in your heart, can become incredibly corrosive. Questions, when they're verbalised, can lead you to life. When you hang on to your questions and you can't find answers, like I found this with Alpha, the Alpha course. I'm what they call an alpha-holic. Um, I've, I've done three Alpha courses, and uh, on the third one, I, I just decided I have, I've got to give my life to Jesus. I can't keep sitting on the fence anymore. But it's a forum where you can get your questions out on the table, where you can talk to people. You can say, I'm not sure. 
Does Jesus heal? Does Jesus do that? Is God there? For me, that's what I was groping for. I, I knew that I needed something else. I didn't know what it was. And I saw in this group of people in the church that I've been dragged and carried along to, that they had something that I needed, but I didn't quite know what it was. And they encouraged me to get my questions out. And then they tried to give me answers. Some of them didn't make any sense. Some of them seemed very like, there you go, you're just trying to put a little bow on it and wrap it all up and make it look nice. But I'm not so sure it's that neat and tidy. But it's actually in that beginning to explore, beginning to be vulnerable. I remember getting some stuff out around a table uh, I'm feeling like I was going to be judged. Like, I'm going to have to say some stuff these guys aren't going to want to hear. Are they prepared to hear what, who I am, where I've been, what I've been through, what I've done to other people, what I don't get about God, the fact that I don't think God could accept me because of what I've been through or what I've said about him or what I've said about other people. And then as I got that stuff out and I encountered grace, not judgment, it like, that was it. It was like the foundation of all of my questions just started to disappear and then it was like there was a tidal wave of grace that started to come into my life so if your heart is full of questions could you be prepared to share them with friends if you're at home you're not in a church you're somewhere else you're not in sitting room get in touch with us and we can get you connected to a church where you can ask your questions as a church we want to be the sort of church that is a church that encourages questions we haven't got to have it all tied up we haven't there, there are so many things that don't make sense in the Christian faith. There are paradoxes. There are things that are true one moment that then conflict with other things. We believe passionately about healing. We've prayed for many, many people to be healed. Why is it sometimes someone gets healed of a hurty knee and yet someone else dies from cancer? I'd much rather have my hurty knee to the grave and that person be delivered from cancer. But we don't get to... We don't really get to understand all of that, but there'll be a day when the veil is lifted and it will all make sense. God's perfect plan, perfect, will all make sense. And we want to be the sort of church that's comfortable in these tensions, when it works, when it doesn't work. And ultimately, all of these things, where everyone is standing, it's this. The response at the end, they were all amazed. They were all Everyone there. So we're talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about the guys that carried. We're talking about the paralytic was definitely amazed. The crowd were amazed. The disciples were amazed. And they glorified God. So when there are people that need carrying, when they encounter Jesus, people get amazed and God gets glorified. When people will do whatever it takes, the result is everyone gets amazed and God gets glorified. And when people's hearts are full of questions and God breaks in, what happens Everyone is amazed and God gets glorified. That's the sort of church we need to be. Where we're comfortable in the tension, we're comfortable with the mess and the stress. And we glorify God as he's revealed through all of that, like the tapestry. He's looking for us, the crackpots, to reveal his glorious grace. And so what we're going to do is, just I'm going to pray, but then we're just going to take communion. It's a great moment to take communion. Um, I, I firmly believe God's wanting to speak this morning, both to us here, but also to you at home.